It's Matt. I mean, does that not sum it up? It's Bubba. I think you're way off base. It's Kelly. Bubba's right. I think you're way off. It's Mike. The North remembers, and the mummer's farce is almost done. Wonderful panelists. Uh, well, if you, as long as you're listening to my guests, then you'll be fine, brother. But as you know, uh, from being a guest of mine, listening to me is pretty pointless. Spoiler alert, these podcasts are going to be intermingling book and show material. So if using one or the other offends you in some way, we apologize. But this is the only way we can talk about this stuff. You've been warned. Hope you enjoy. You're listening to the Before the Dragon podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to Before the Dragon podcast. We're continuing our seed series. We've got Liana Part 2 today. Don't forget, you can find me at the letter B, the number 4, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. And we would appreciate it if you go to mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S, audioblog.com. Find all the links to the podcast apps there. Find everything you need to know about this podcast as well as back podcast episodes. And please download, subscribe, rate, and review. And then delete your download and download again. Because that'll help me to continue to be your 351st favorite Game of Thrones prequels slash A Song of Ice and Fire podcast. In the meantime, just to refresh your memory... If you haven't been with us for a while, in this particular podcast, we've got Kelly, the siren from A Song of Ice and Fire from the West. She is at Kelly Underfoot on Twitter. You can find Mike Hall, Michael Hall, a great documentarian. He runs a couple podcasts, including Fun City Cinema and Black Diplomats podcasts. Does a great job with those. He's also got some documentary projects coming up, so be sure to check him out at Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. And finally, we were blessed to be joined by Bubba, the podfather, so to speak, of Double P Media, as well as your host for many of their podcasts, including the Joffrey of Podcasts, one of my favorite Game of Thrones podcasts as well. Find him at Fit and Trim, F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M, or you can find him at Double PHQ on Twitter at the word double, the letters PHQ. Without further ado, here is Liana part two. Oh, and just to put it in Jamie Lannister's words, you don't choose who you love, right? You can't choose who you love. And uh, that seems to be a, as big a theme in George's book as any. Uh, and uh, I don't know how well that was explored in the television show, obviously, in the stuff that was taken from the source material. We found a lot of that. So. Uh, it feels to me uh, like your point's very valid there, Bubba, that they, you know, that as far as those ramifications go, uh, we could look at some of those ramifications right now if anybody wanted to, because we move on to part three. Through Bran's eyes in the television show, which we assume would be considered canon for a series covering the rebellion, it seems clear that Rhaegar and Lyanna were in love. But what of how Lyanna's change of heart affected the rest of the world? One must assume either through examination of the books or the television show that Robert, in his own way, coveted Lyanna from Martin's A Game of Thrones at our tomb. The others take your honor, Robert swore. What did any Targaryen ever know of honor? Go down into your crypt and ask Lyanna about the dragon's honor. You avenge Lyanna at the trident, Ned said, halting beside the king. Promise me, Ned, she had whispered. That did not bring her back. Robert looked away off into the great distance. The gods be damned, it was a hollow victory they gave me. A crown. It was the girl I prayed them for. Your sister safe and mine again as she was meant to be. I ask you, Ned, what good is it to wear a crown? The gods mock the prayers of kings and cowherds alike. Similar declarations of love are exhibited in the TV show as well. On top of that, in a conversation not found in the books, Robert tells Cersei about his feelings regarding Lyanna. This is from the television show, first season, episode five, The Lion and the Wolf. What was she like? You never asked about her, not once. Why not? At first, just saying her name, even in private, felt like I was breathing life back into her. 
I thought if I didn't talk about her, she'd just fade away for you. When I realized that wasn't gonna happen, I refused to ask out of spite. I didn't want to give you the satisfaction of thinking I cared enough to ask. And eventually, it became clear that my spite didn't mean anything to you. As far as I could tell, you actually enjoyed it. So why not? <laughs> what harm could Lyanna Stark's ghost do to either of us that we haven't done to each other a hundred times over? You want to know the horrible truth? I can't even remember what she looked like. I only know she was the one thing I ever wanted. Someone took her away from me, and seven kingdoms couldn't fill the hole she left behind. The notion of a kidnapping was, in this particular host's opinion, most likely Robert and the rest of the realm's way of dealing with an uncomfortable truth. And that truth being that Robert and Liana, even though betrothed, were never really truly meant to be. The, quote, kidnapping was the story that many throughout the realm ended up buying into as time passed. After all, it is the victor who writes the history, at least in most cases. In the season one history and lore section, Robert once again professes his love of Lyanna and reasserts that Lyanna might not have gone with Rhaegar willingly. We now know this idea to be untrue, but it was the basis for all things regarding the proclaimed history of Robert's Rebellion throughout Westeros from that point onward. This is Robert's accounting in The Mad King, found in Season 1, Histories and Lore section. Then the Targaryens went too far. The Crown Prince Rhaegar abducted Lyanna Stark, daughter of Rickard Stark, the Lord of Winterfell. She was my betrothed, she was my beloved. A beautiful and spirited woman, and I loved her more than life itself. Rhaegar went south with Lyanna, hiding her away in Dorne. What harm he inflicted on the poor girl, the gods only know. Of course, Robert was immediately affected by Rhaegar and Lyanna, but so were many others. It would seem, in the world of Ice and Fire, that according to Yandel, the entirety of Lyanna's family was taken aback by Rhaegar's action at the tourney in regards to Lyanna, even more so than Robert, who might have been feigning a little bit of humor in order to hide his hurt. This is from the World of Ice and Fire text in a section titled The Fall of the Dragons, The Year of the False Spring. Brandon Stark, the heir to Winterfell, had to be restrained from confronting Rhaegar at what he took as a slight upon his sister's honor. For Lyanna Stark had long been betrothed to Robert Baratheon, Lord of Storm's End. Eddard Stark, Brandon's younger brother and a close friend to Lord Robert was calmer, but no more pleased. As for Robert Baratheon himself, some say he laughed at the prince's gesture, claiming that Rhaegar had done no more than pay Lyanna her due. But those who knew him better say the young lord brooded on the insult and that his heart hardened toward the Prince of Dragonstone from that day forth. We're going to focus on Brandon for a minute here, because the previous passage and others mentioned related so far allow us a chance to clue in on his motivations to go to King's Landing after Rhaegar and Lyanna disappeared. Earlier, we heard mentioned by Ned that Lyanna had a touch of the wolf blood, but that Brandon had much more of that. If he had to be restrained because of the gift of a crown of roses, even accounting for the symbolism included, then he would naturally seem to be the one who might take the matter up with King Aerys in person once Lyanna and Rhaegar had disappeared. That boldness, that wolf blood, wildness, whatever you want to call it, it was an act that more or less solidified the eventual alliance between John Aaron, Ned Stark, Robert Baratheon, hey, and of course, don't forget him, Oster Tully, when the nuptials between Ned and Catelyn brought the Riverlands into the fold. Robert Baratheon once again joins us with his account, telling us of Brandon's journey and the fate that befell both him and his father, Rickard. This is from The Mad King, which is found on the Histories and Lore section of Season 1 from the television show. Brandon Stark, Lyanna's oldest brother, was outraged. He rode to King's Landing to confront the king and demand his sister's safe return. Instead, Eris had him executed, his father Rickard Stark as well. There wasn't much left to discuss after that. 
Maester Luwin gives us more detail about what happened to Brandon and his father, Rickard, in the history and lore section of season one, under the same Mad King title. Enraged, Brandon Stark rode to King's Landing, demanding the release of his sister and the death of Rhaegar. Ares arrested him for treason and called his father to come to the capital and ransom him. My lord Rickard complied. Ares, now utterly mad, arrested him for treason as well. Lord Rickard demanded a trial by combat. Ares declared fire the champion of House Targaryen and had Lord Rickon suspended from the rafters of the throne room while pyromancers lit a blaze beneath him. As he burned, Brandon was brought into the throne room. A leather cord attached to a strangulation device was wrapped around his neck. Ares told Brandon his father was a dead man, but there was one chance to save him. A longsword was placed on the floor just out of Brandon's reach, and the more he struggled to reach it, the more the cord tightened around his throat. Brandon Stark strangled himself trying to free his father, who was roasted alive in his own armor. The entire court stood and watched this atrocity take place, Sir Jaime Lannister and the King's Guard among them. The Mad King was reported to have laughed hysterically as these two men were tortured and brutally killed. One of the most lasting effects of the loss of Brandon and his father, Rickard Stark, an effect reaching far beyond Robert's Rebellion itself, was of course that Eddard was now heir to the Lordship of Winterfell. He inherited even more than that, of course. He also took on his brother Brandon's place as husband to Catelyn and the link to House Tully. This is Catelyn in the Season 2 History and Lore section, Robert's Rebellion. When I came of age, Brandon Stark of Winterfell sought and won my hand. To my father, Brandon was heir to the North and a suitable match for a daughter of House Tully. To me, Brandon was wild and terrifying, never far from laughter or trouble. I loved him with all the fire of a first passion. Skipping a little ahead in the same segment, Catelyn speaks of Brandon's fate and the result of that fate. Only days before my wedding, when I was thought to be happy forever, Prince Rhaegar Targaryen abducted Brandon's sister Lyanna. Hot-blooded as always, Brandon immediately rode for King's Landing to demand justice, which the mad King Ares Targaryen gave him in his own twisted fashion. The day the Raven arrived with the news of my Brandon's death, I locked myself in a room and refused to eat for days until my father reminded me of my duty. I was to marry Eddard, Brandon's younger brother, a man whom I had never met, though of whom none had spoke ill or spoke anything at all. Our union would cement an alliance of the North, Vale, Stormlands, and Riverlands in rebellion against the Mad King. The what-ifs, not unlike Littlefinger's what-if earlier, start to mount up around the reactions to Lyanna and Rhaegar, setting in motion the events that changed a dynasty in Westeros forever, molding a future that we've seen playing out in the television show and the books that we know and love. The what-ifs questions we can ask at this point are, of course, many. And here are some of those questions just off the top of my head, Matt. What if Brandon... <laughs> hadn't been so bold as to go charge into King's Landing. <laughs> what if Rhaegar and Lyanna had not fallen in love? What if Lyanna might have been given a choice to voice her doubts about her betrothal to old Robert? You know, how about Robert himself? He may have loved Lyanna, but did he actually love just the idea of her more than the actual person? You know, Let's be honest. Some of these questions that I just came up with may be considered moot points, right? But hey, let's speculate anyway. Matt, lead us through. All right. Well, the, the one that I really want to address is whether Robert actually loved Liana. I mean, here's a guy who's had how many bastards? And it didn't, it's not like it started just with Cersei. He, we heard earlier that Liana knew of his bastard in the veil maya maya thank maya you maya stone yeah <laughs> and so 
all of these years and the more that all of this history is put forward and the effect that it has on Robert himself, just as a speculation, do we think that he was more in love with the idea of Liana than, you know, actually knowing her or loving? Because we also see in these t texts that we've read earlier that there were things that he did not know about her. And would he have felt differently about her? I don't think Ned's revealing any of this until after she's been dead for many, many years. So um, is it just the idea of Liana that Robert fell in love with most? Yes. Nothing further. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Abs absolutely. Robert's very shallow. Robert's very simple. Uh, Robert appreciated. I would actually kick this over to Bubba. Bubba, play your play your game on on Robert here. What did he love about Liana that he he found about it in himself? I mean, this whole practice feels a little narcissistic, but I mean, I guess that's human nature. So apply it here, if you will. Okay. Well, sure. Let's do it. Number one, I want to say that. I think it's a bit rough of us to judge other people's love. Oh, he loved her, but he didn't know her well. How much does anybody know anybody? I think if he believed her, he loved her, then he loved her. I think, you know, I'm not into semantics. But, okay, why would Robert seem to be so deeply in love with Liana? So what's a what's a trait that Robert likes about himself? Robert is headstrong now is that a trait that he likes about himself i think it is that he's headstrong and and hard uh you know kind of hard-headed and, and willing to stand up for what he believes in very boisterously and so liana i'm willing to bet in that he saw a person who had that similar trait that he had that he liked about himself now what's a trait that robert kind of wishes maybe he had i think that liana feels like and this is maybe me reading between the lines, but she feels maybe a little bit more carefree. Robert, as the oldest son who had both his parents die, he couldn't be carefree. He was the Lord of Storm's End. He had a lot of responsibility on himself at an early age. And so maybe a trait he wishes he could have had is to be more free-spirited, to be more kind of, uh, you know, out there fighting, as we always hear him saying he wanted to be. And in Liana, he saw somebody who could act on those traits. And so that would be something, that, another reason why he would be so attracted to her and could fall in love with her. I appreciate that, Bubba. That's a really good point. There's a whole like love language and people experience love differently. And maybe this was the extent to which Robert did love things was the way that they made him feel. And if that's how he loved, that's how he loved. And she made him feel good. And that's why he loved her in his way. <laughs> I mean, I just wonder, like, how much information is there about what kind of time they spent together? Because it seems to me like there was not a lot of time spent. To, like, you know, when you're talking about the possibility even that Rhaegar and Lyanna spent two weeks at this tournament together, that to me seems longer than I had kind of thought, right? So... I think there's also always kind of the question of how much is this like love and how much is this like his Canadian girlfriend, you know, to what extent, like, have they spent time together in a way for them to actually fall in love or for her to make him feel any kind of way or vice versa? Because when she's talking about like, you know, this, I heard he's got a kid in the veil. She's not talking about like, the other woman, the situation, nothing. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like this piece of information that's come back to her that seems reasonable. So I wonder if, to me, it's, it would be easier to have an opinion about the depth of his feelings if I knew how much time they'd spent together. Because I, in my mind, it's not very much. You know, Brandon, to me, moving on to this part of the, the conversation, seems, uh, you know, Ned describes him as having more than a touch of the wolf's blood. Uh, so naturally, he's going to be the one to go out and go to King's Landing. I mean, and here's one of these probably moot questions, but Kelly, I'll go back to you. Um, if Brandon ha had had any sense and not just gone to King's Landing alone, of course, much of this might not have happened. I don't know if you would have had the the alliance, especially after the Mad King, which we'll find out in future podcasts, uh, you know, immediately after killing these two says, well, you got to get rid of Ned and and Baratheon also um, because, you know, they're going to come looking for revenge. And that's what spurred that kind of relationship. And then, of course, Eddard ends up marrying Catelyn, as we talked about. 
uh, and that brings the Riverlands into the fold as well. Given what we know about Brandon, and I realize that there's not a whole lot, but there is some stuff that we know about Brandon, if nothing else than through these histories and lures and his actions and uh, and reading things about how easily he gets miffed by things. If somebody had just held Brandon back, Kelly, do we even have a story here? I still think so. I think even if he had waited until his father or, or like a, a bigger uh, group had arrived, uh, yeah, he got arrested with his small group anyway. But then when his father came down, his father surely had a much larger retinue and he also was um, arrested and, and killed. So, I mean, granted, that was in a trial by combat and that was by choice, but, you know, it still would have played out similarly, I think, um, if he had waited and, and you know, withheld some of his own nature, uh, natural instincts from responding so rashly. So I don't think it was inevitable necessarily, but I think it was quite likely that it would have happened this way no matter what. The answer to that question is remind me why Jamie stabbed the Mad King. <laughs> I mean, as long as that event takes place then all the kind of everything around it is kind of window dressing. Like it says in the quote you, we just did, everybody stood around and watched while he cooked Eddard, you know, and so, right? Like everybody just, or Rickard. And, and so I think, you know, the, the kind of the decision point is not necessarily whether or not Brandon goes in there. That changes Ned's life, obviously, uh, but not necessarily history in Westeros. The decision point is when Jamie sticks him. You, there are too many points, in my opinion, Mike, to really say, oh, this is the single point. The one thing I would say is that there is this belief in manhood that why should I – I don't need anybody else. If you have an issue with it, you address it. You know, you step up. And sure, Brandon had a lot of wolf's blood. But if if it's like, okay, I'm the older brother – and my younger sister has been disrespected, I'm not, you know, am I going to be a, a little kid and wait for daddy to come help me or somebody else come help me? No, I'm going to, quote unquote, be the man. And I'm going to step up and address this and make sure my sister's honor hasn't been insulted. So, you know, people can debate whether that's a good masculinity trait or not. But I would think that the picture we're being painted of Brandon paints him that way. And so I... I you know, I don't think there's, you know, the idea of, okay, let's round up a, a posse almost seems less, quote unquote, manly. And so maybe that would be another reason he'd be so against it or, or unwilling to go through with it, maybe. Well, that brings up a good question uh, that, that uh, we've talked about earlier in regards to, um, I, I guess you would call them gender roles in the world of Westeros at this time. And my big thing that I keep coming back to, we've seen in this podcast, we've seen text of Liana telling Ned that, you know, she's not sure about Robert. He's got a kid in the veil, right? And I'm wondering that if Liana had gotten to have any say, because even Ned brings into the fold with Arya, he, he says, you know, you're going to be the the lady of a hold fast and you're going to have knights and princes as as sons and blah 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 so there's this whole painting of of you know a woman's role the, the, the politics of marriage in all of this if liana who obviously had doubts about her betrothal to robert if if she had had any kind of voice to those objections um, I think the whole thing could have been avoided in a long way. And I, I don't think that there's, like you said, Bubba, I don't think that there's any one point, uh, which is why a lot of these questions are, are kind of moot. But I, I do feel like that um, if Liana had been listened to the same way that, say, Ned listened to Catelyn, and of course he often made a decision against her and then it ended up being bad for him, uh, at least in the television show. But if Liana had been given voice to her doubts, uh, I think that's the thing that could have avoided this whole thing from the very get-go. Um, so I really think that it's a comment on how awful this world really is in terms of, of uh, the choices that women are allowed to make. Matt, are we sure she wasn't allowed to give voice? And and yes, she asks Ned some questions, 
but she never said to Ned, and it seems like they had an open enough relationship where she could have. She never says to Ned, you know, I don't want to marry this guy, Robert. So how do we know she didn't? Like, well, I I think that that uh, that quote uh, from her and Ned conversing about Robert, uh, I read between the lines of that saying that maybe she, you know, she had doubts, um, but she wasn't going to. Ex- she expressed them to Ned, the quiet one. Right, but know? in those doubts, she never says, "You know what? I don't want to marry this dude." Well, that's yeah. true. I like. I, I think you both have good points. I think Matt, you, you can definitely read it that way that she's kind of scheming or planning something and not doesn't have it worked out yet. But she's doesn't intend to go through with whatever uh, she has been deemed you know required of her. There's really no indication that she's committed as enough to her family and society that she's going to spend her whole life in a position that wouldn't make her happy. So I think it could be definitely read that way that she wasn't intending to actually marry Robert. I like, I like that, uh, that alternate narrative where Liana goes off on a, what is it? Sea smoke, you know, or something, you know, goes off on a, on one of the dragons and metaphorically, you know, right. Yeah. Like some free, free character. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What other points do we have on this? Anything? Since there's so many what ifs in in this discussion point we're talking about now, what if or does anybody have a reason why Rhaegar just didn't come out and tell everybody? Like why Rhaegar didn't make a pronouncement? You know, he could come out to the middle of uh, of right stand on the steps of the Sept of Baylor and say, "Okay, everybody, here's what's going to go on. I am going to get annulled and I'm going to marry her." Wouldn't that have also kind of solved a lot of issues? Again, we have to look at this one quote in regards to whether uh, from Yandel in in the World of Ice and Fire as to whether there actually was a uh, what kind of a secret great council uh, about to happen to depose the Mad King or not, and how that was probably foiled by the fact that he actually showed up. Right? I I, I would imagine that was the big thing. Um, now, the event of the quote-unquote kidnapping happens a good deal of time after Heron Hall. Um, so we need to know, there's just so much information that George has left out um, that I'm assuming that any showrunner for the show would have to, to, to go to him for uh, because, you know, who knows when the heck we're going to get wins a winner. And, uh, and ask, you know, well, were they exchanging letters? Were they exchanging ravens? Um, what the heck is going on in this time period in between, and how does that affect the decision that Rhaegar and Lyanna make to just run off to Dorne? Um, those are just really weird things to have happen uh, without an explanation like you asked for, Bubba. So I, I don't know where we go with that. Uh, but well, here I, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to I'm going to go you know more on my anti Rhaegar rant. How long does it take to get from Winterfell to King's Landing? About a month, isn't that what kind of we're all seeing? Maybe you go, maybe it could be three weeks because uh, Rickard Stark believes his oldest son is in danger and he's going to ride there fast, so three weeks. That's three weeks where Rhaegar doesn't step forward and stop any of this madness and say, Dad, release that guy. It's my fault. My bad. You know, time out, everybody. This is my bad. He didn't, you know, that's three weeks which Rickard takes to come down from Winterfell where well, Rhaegar aren't, aren't Rhaegar and Lyanna already gone by that point, though? Rhaegar can't step in at that point. Yeah, he's already gone, but you're telling me in at least a three-week period, nothing ever got back to Rhaegar to say, hey, Dad just took her older brother <laughs> you know, hostage, threw him in a cell. Rhaegar couldn't have like th- sent a raven? Hello? Rhaegar, the Prince Charles of A Song of Ice of Fire. Yeah. And again, I'll say there's missing information. Maybe he did, um, but we don't know that yet. Who knows? But that's a good speculation. I just want to throw here that this is where I start to question Liana's sterling reputation in my eyes, uh, where I, I love her so much. She's so great. And then she, this running off happens. And I, I mean, she she gets pregnant. She has a kid. I mean, there's at least nine months there. I know that Robert's Rebellion is, is a year later. Like, there's, um, goes on for so long that that happens. So, like, 
what does she think is happening while she is gone? And why is she not doing anything to reach out to her family? Is she kept completely isolated? Does she think she's on some grand adventure and is hiding? Like, why does she not reach out to, you know, I mean, surely she knows that her family is worried about her, right? I mean, is Rhaegar lying to her and saying, no, 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 I talked to your father, <laughs> you know, it's all good, girl. You you lay back oh. in that bed of roses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and why would she believe that? And like, there's a lot that happens there that I, I kind of have to see play out uh, in a way that maintains any sympathy for her because she made this decision and it has all these consequences. And if she was complicit, like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> there's, there's a lot there that I give her agency. And so up to that point, she has to also have responsibility with that. And I think that that's kind of uh, unfortunate that we don't know why she didn't try at least we don't know if she did or or we don't see any evidence that she did even try to uh i don't know stop any of this from happening and it is kind of the impetus if not it may not have been such a grand rebellion war where so many people died if that was somehow some communication <laughs> that's an excellent point as well uh, my only grace for her would be if she did know that her child was going to be at risk and she was trying to protect it, I guess, at that point. But that's the only but even then, even then, my girl still could have put something in order. <laughs> I feel like she's like the dog, you know, if she was looking for adventure, she's like the dog who caught its own tail and is now doesn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> OK, good point. Bubba, you want to get us into the next part? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. We let's uh, move forward, Matt. We've discussed many things. The things we know about Liana, her personality, her looks, her skills, her relationship to the double R's, double R's, Rhaegar and Roberts of the world, and uh, her family. And we've explored how all this one flashpoint grew into the war known as Robert's Rebellion. That's a double R too. Oh yeah. Hey. Double double R. <laughs> Some of these things may be examined in a potential future television series or further elaborated on in Martin's books. At this point, we put on our fandom hats and ponder what we might like to see in the television show regarding these things. We know what we hope to see further elaborated on in the books as well. There is, of course, no guarantee that we'll ever see a Robert's Rebellion TV show, but if we did... What of this material do we deem important, and what blanks in our information do we need to have filled in? Uh, I don't really care about any of that. I just want to see the fight on the river and the the stones going everywhere, and it's like they can fill in whatever they want, but they better give me that fight. Oh, you're going to get that fight. Uh, you're definitely going to get that fight. Mike, so where do you think that would fall in the season or in the series? Like, would that be you know ninety percent uh, of the way be... through, or? No, it's going to be the end of, of season one, and then everything's going to be shit after that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's all politics after that. <laughs> I'm more interested in, in how far forward we go or what have you or where everything is placed. I'm actually more interested to see uh, some of Liana and Rhaegar's pasts leading up to, to Hall. Um, I feel like that that's information that needs to be mined out of George by any showrunners that they would have or whatever. I mean, I want to go back as far as seeing, you know, Benjen getting the crap beat out of him by sword wielding Liana. Uh, that's the kind of I mean, maybe not their childhood, but uh, you could you could show that kind of playfulness between them, uh, even up to uh, them sparring or something, even when they're older. Uh, I would love to see stuff like that uh, as far as going forward. Um, there's a lot of missing information, right? And so there's going to be people uh, because we're not going to get all this information from George by the time that, that they get there at the rate that George is going. I hate to be a downer about that, but I really feel that way. And so there's going to be a lot of people, you know, who are going to say, well, what about the Great Council? Where are they? And what about this? And what about that? Why didn't my theory uh, that's going to happen in the books why didn't it come through on the television show? And I'm, I, you know how much I love theorizing. It's just one of those things that I'm not a big fan of. I don't mind you calling it speculation, uh, but I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of theorizing myself. And so I, I'm much more interested in them finding, if they're going to be making anything up, I, I want to find pieces that invest me in the characters involved 
more so than the the what who did this and who did that. Um, but I, naturally, some of that information is going to have to be presented, uh, which is why I think that George had originally kind of uh, poo pooed on the idea of anybody doing a Roberts Rebellion television series a while back. Um, Mike, what? You've kind of expressed that you only want to see that fight, but there's got to be something that you would really like to see. Come on. I mean, I think, you know, uh, everybody wants to see Rhaegar as a character. I think, you know, obviously the Mad King would be great. You know, I just want to see the villains in a lot of ways. You know, the Starks are mostly interesting when they're doing bad shit. So, you know, which we're not really expecting a whole lot of, I would think, out of that season. So I think really you know, leaning into the the Mad King especially and, and Rhaegar would be the thing that I would be showing up for. How about you, Kelly? I'm picturing the show starting with the tourney at Hall. I think they've got to start with something grand and something exciting. And I think that would be a really cool opener. And I'm trusting the way that the show filled in a lot of the character backstory pretty well with these kind of like little droplets of nuggets of hints. And and the characters already come in with these relationships existing, especially with the kind of real world context of a lot of these show watchers will have already, you know, watched the, the main series. So kind of putting in like, oh, who's that? Or I wonder, you know, if you don't have the names to characters yet being like, I wonder who that'll be. Like reading that passage from the show where, where Littlefinger mentions being at the tourney, like I'm kind of got me excited to see like a young Littlefinger at the tourney. You know, do we see his scars Is this before or after that? I don't remember. But there's a lot there that I think would be fun and a good way to draw in and, and to not make, you know, the... Uh, immediate comparison between this isn't as good as the original start with something big like that and i think that would be great and then you can fill in all of the intrigue and stuff at that point too just a big point where you meet all the characters and they all go their separate ways (laughs) and then from there on you've got intrigue you know family stories and and then you establish who these characters are and their relationships relationships to each other further and then you've got the actual rebellion has to start at some point, right? It's that's what the show's called. So maybe that's what the whole first season or something will build up to. And then you've got a lot of content for the rebellion and the fights and all these different character point of views that you follow. And mm. I think that that could be a good structure, maybe. <laughs> but as far as like, especially this this episode being about Liana, like I do want to see her being a focal point, flesh out her character, so she's not just this scrappy girl who who started a war which is kind of her reputation you know <laughs> very good Bubba you're one of the best armchair showrunners that I've ever seen so uh how are you planning this series out if you're the showrunner well what I would be interested in or the way I would approach this is they have announced that HBO is considering multiple series and some of the series they're considering include an animated show and a part of me thinks that you have such a deep connection, the audience does, with Sean Bean as Ned Stark and the actors from the TV show in their roles, that I would be very tempted to consider having this one be animated and then using the actors' voices from the original shows, whether it's uh, Nikolai Coster-Waldo as Jamie as young Jamie in the tournament of Arenal, I think that would be a real interesting way to do it, to really connect them uh, tightly. The second thing I think, if we're not going to go animated or HBO doesn't go animated, there is almost too much of a focus on one thing, meaning Robert, Rhaegar, and Lyanna. And the great thing that we all loved about the book series is there's all sorts of wants and needs and the story is so widespread that it's very interesting. So some of the things we don't talk about very much as a fandom is, well, why were the people who stayed loyal to the bad King? Why was it the Tyrells? They seem to really be the only family that was truly loyal to the bad King the whole time. So it'd be nice to see what their goal was. They thought they could get after at the end of this rebellion. If, okay, will you allow us to expand our rule to take over the Stormlands, for example? And so I think you would have to add those uh, goals to other families just to make the show a bit more 
uh, a bit more widespread in its focus, like the original Game of Thrones was. And so Robert's Rebellion, if I was doing this as a live action show, that's one of the things I would consider almost to the point where I almost would feel like I need to create a couple more leads than the established leads of Robert, Rhaegar, and Lyanna. Well, just to clarify, Bubba, you would say that you want it to be as sprawling as the original series and prefer it to maintain that kind of structure as opposed to going somewhere, something more narrow in scope, like focusing on a, the war. Yes, and there are a couple reasons for that. Number the, the main reason, I should say, Kelly, is that the great thing about the television experience is that while many people knew the content up through the first five seasons. Maybe I could figure out where things going for the, for the, for the sixth season. People had theories, but they didn't know for sure the end. If you focus too tightly on Robert Rhaegar and Liana, everybody knows the end. But what if there are these kind of side deals, side wants, side loves of people not involved in it? Uh, I've heard people talk about the show Rome where Rome the HBO show, pretty good show as well, dealt with historical figures where you knew, hey, too, Brute, what was going to happen to Julius Caesar, but you also focused on, uh, quote-unquote, the common man, the common soldier, and the, you had no idea what would happen to them. So there could be some speculation. The audience could be engaged in, ooh, what is this other story happening? And so I would certainly be tempted to try something like that in a in a show where so much of the quote-unquote end is known. Yeah. It's fascinating that you say that because wasn't Bruno Heller one of the people mentioned in as, just as being a possible developer of, of some A Song of Ice and Fire song, uh, television show coming down the, the pike, possibly. Mm-hmm. So uh, that we talked about that in our, our previous podcast, Kelly, where you know we talked about, oh, well, don't make it so much about those characters, but make it about... Two people who are, you know, it, you can even bring in characters from Dorne, for that matter, because Dorne was, uh, of course, because of Elliot, they were, <laughs> it's funny, they spend their whole, half the time that the Targaryens are in the country, or more than half the time that the Targaryens are in the country being their enemies, uh, but they end up being the last people uh, that fight for the Targaryens at the Trident. Uh, in terms of being one of the main houses of the royal armies. And that's so, where the Tower of Joy is. So, like, they spend a lot of time in Dorne, you know, yeah. or on the way to Dorne. So there's, like, that as well. So they, Dorne might play an even bigger role in uh, in the whole thing as just because of that. Absolutely. Um, can I ask you guys something? Um, no, of kind course. of about the, more about the structure of the show, if you guys uh, think the... Since we do know where the the characters more or less end, where the story ends up, would you be interested in, like, let's say the, since we kind of know where Game of Thrones starts is years after the end of the rebellion, about like, I guess, uh, John was born at the end, so around then, uh, around his age, whatever it is, show or, or book-wise, it varies, but yeah, so that long has passed, so, but we kind of have an idea where everybody ended up at the end of the, at the end of the, um, the fighting, but if the show ended or kind of like led everything and tied off all of these loose ends so that you can kind of see where like Lady Olena, like let's say there's a younger Lady Olena who comes in, you mentioned the Tyrells and I'm like, well, let's see, you know, if do you want there to be a clear line of direction from the show Robert's Rebellion where you can kind of see how it led to a Lady Olena or how it led to like, I guess, Lord Tywin. Like, do you want to see how, do you want the show to tie it so closely to the characters that we know eventually like would you would that be like kind of fan service that you'd want to see or would that be too too fan servicey does that make sense i think it makes perfect sense kelly and i think that would be now you know designing stories prequels as we all know can be tricky but what i think you're describing is a bit fascinating it is a bit fascinating to see oh well if late uh lady olena is convincing her son Mace to stick with the royal, you know, stick with the royal army, with the Targaryen army. What does she see from it, and how would that experience affect how she moves forward? You know, what what do we know about her 
when we first meet her in the book series and the beginning of the TV show. She's all about gathering up information about King Joffrey, and maybe she knows she needs to learn about that because she didn't gather up enough information or felt like she didn't have enough information way back when in Robert's Rebellion. So it would be kind of interesting to kind of reverse engineer some of those stories as far as too much fan service, as long as it, as long as you can create a compelling narrative, I, I think that'd be great. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> Kelly, how divisive do you think some of these avenues might be for her fandom? If it's not what they perceive to be or what have you. Oh, if it's very divisive, this was, was my idea. I don't know. But if it's uh, very, uh, you know, uniting, I think that that would be, you know, I'll put my name on that tagline. No, um, I think that there, I think it's uh, possible that people don't like being like spoon fed stuff. So I feel like if you got, if you had like a, whatever character plays a young lady, Elena um, comes in and, and says something like, you know, sure would be a shame if one of my granddaughters married a monster. We don't want that. You know, if it was too overt. <laughs> no, I kinda... think I think that would that would really sell it if she looked into the camera and then winked. I mean, I'll get 11 seasons out of that alone. Right. <laughs> Avoiding anything, you know, bad writing. I, I, I would appreciate it, but I'm a nerd and I love, you know, I get that reference kind of, you know, garbage. And, and I don't think it's. I don't think it's too uh, <laughs> um, talking down to your audience if you do that. I think I think that's um, I think it could be clever writing if you if you just plant the seed so that it is apparent but not you know glaring that this is what that is supposed to imply in that like that character later um, kind of stuff. Kelly, all these scenes write themselves. Howlin' Reed and Ned are are bringing the baby back from the Tower of Joy. Howlin' Reed. Ned, will you ever tell anyone? Ned, snow one. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> light bulb. <laughs> An animated light bulb on top of the uh, exactly up the live action series. Yes, absolutely. Oh my God! What if they made it a comedy? That like just a straight up like. <laughs> oh man. Um. John no, no. Aaron, you want me to marry Cersei? <laughs> this will be the death of me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Black Adder recently, so that's just I'm picturing too much, <laughs> too many inside gags of, the, of just too too far, too far. I can picture it too easily, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> just as long as uh, as a young Littlefinger uh, has a mustache already and is twisting it uh, in some way <laughs> uh, the whole time, uh, you know. Ooh, I can do this. Ooh, I can do that. Don't don't even put any reference in it. Just 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 occasionally a shot of him, uh, you know, <laughs> just looking at the camera, and 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 you can see him pondering what kind of chaos he can cause. That's all I need. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Okay, all right. So that's going to conclude the discussion part. Uh, before we say goodbye, I do have to do something that I've chosen to do, uh, much to my detriment, and I'm sure that my cohorts here will laugh at me as I do it, will jeer me as I do it. This is what is expected of them because I'm a terrible impressionist, impressionist and I'm doing this simply uh, to you know, live up to my name. So what we're going to do with the shame, shame, shameful plug... It's time for the shame, shame, shameful plug. Shame, shame, shame. Uh, we're going to conclude every topic podcast with the plug of another A Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones podcast that we actually like. So my co-hosts are going to choose between three different podcasts. Uh, to do kind of like an ad read. And uh, we've got a list of impressions that I will do in order to uh, try and do them as. Uh, yes, this is a stolen idea. And yes, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be a very bad impression manner that I'm going to be doing these uh, impressions in. I have to comply with whatever choice these people make in order to uh, read the plug. So feel free to torture me in the best way that you feel possible. Here are the three podcasts that you have to choose from for me to shamelessly plug, which is actually going to be end up being a shameful plug. I'm sure that I'll get sued by these podcasts because I didn't do them any favors by doing this. But 
your choices are uh, someone if you will be familiar with this one here, Double P Media's The Joffrey of Podcasts. Hey. The Davos Fingers podcast. Hey. Or the, the DVR Network's podcast Winterfell. Ooh, hey. Everybody hey. knows that one. Okay. Uh, so let's start just there by, by choosing a podcast to plug. Mike, your vote of those three. I mean, it would be weird if I didn't say Podcast Winterfell, wouldn't it? It would be weird if you didn't say Podcast Winterfell. So, uh, Kelly, who do you choose? I wanted to go easy on you and have you do uh, Double P Media's The Joffrey of Podcast. All right, there we go. So now if Bubba chooses <laughs> Davos Fingers, then I will get to do the tiebreaker. So, Bubba, what do you choose? Sure, yeah, let's do it. Davos's Fingers. All right. Uh, because Mike's been away for so long, uh, that means that I'm going to be doing the Joffrey of podcasts. So that means, <laughs> no, uh, sorry, Mike, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm not going to do podcast Winterfell. I'd love to do podcast Winterfell maybe sometime in the future. I'll tell you what, those will be, one of those two will be in the next podcast, uh, for sure. I'll just narrow, I'll keep, leave the choices until we eventually get to one. Here's the tricky part. Now we have to pick a character for me to read this plug as. And your choices are Sansa, Melisandre, George R. R. Martin himself, or Pycelle. So, Kelly, who do you vote for? Oh, Bubba, you're going to love this. He's got to do it in George's voice. So you get a full ad, you get a free plug from the man himself, George Railroad Martin, for your podcast, come on, you gotta, come on, did I sell it to you? We both gotta be on my side. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> Let's see if you guys can guess who I'm voting for. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, that's George R. Martin. <laughs> is it? <laughs> oh, no, good. Sorry. His laugh is so crazy, even I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, so that Mike doesn't get to vote now because uh, not only did he get shut out of the podcast Winterfell, but uh, it's already uh, a two out of three majority. There is no need for me to step in and do a tiebreaker. And yet somehow I'm getting everything I want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome so here, world. Here we go. Let me get into character here. <laughs> <laughs> This presentation has been brought to you by the number four. That's the minimum number of food descriptions that I do in a dinner description. The letter P, oh, lots of foods that start with P. Let's see, there's pie, there's peaches, uh, pheasant, uh, pears, all kinds of wonderful peas. That's wonderful. And, of course, by Double P Media's The Joffrey of Podcasts, one of the best podcasts ever done. <laughs> Are you... Down in the dumps because they killed off the greatest character that I ever wrote and in the history of writing back in season four. Want to see the television show and books through a lens of truth, my truth, my secret Joffrey POV chapters? Fear not, for Bubba and Catfish have been praising the name of Joffrey Baratheon since near the beginning. They've been straightening unstraighteners regarding the truth of the greatest king in the history of Westeros, one unstraightener at a time with kindness. That's not the way that I do it in the books, but unstraightening is a good thing. The one quality that Joffrey truly had above all is, of course, kindness. Follow at the word double, the letters PHQ. I got to find out what that PHQ stands for. Bubba, can you tell me what that PHQ stands for? Podcast headquarters. Excellent. Thank you. The Twitter and Instagram is that handle. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash double PHQ and follow Bubba on Twitter at fit and trim. Oh, Bubba, how's that spelled? F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M, at Fit and Trim on Twitter. And Catfish, at CJGMan67. He's your 67th favorite CJGMan. However, I think that he should be up to maybe 65. Find the Joffrey of Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, 
and review today. And if you don't, I'm never finishing Winds of Winter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm never going to finish it anyway. When you've had a glorious day at the races And you've lost your shirt, your vest, your collar and braces Just give yourself a pat on the back, pat on the back, pat on the back And say to yourself, it's jolly good health I've had a good day today, hooray I've had a good day today, yes Oh, George, thank you for <laughs> such a wonderful plug <laughs> And that will conclude this edition. Nobody yelled at me. No, you were supposed to. I, I hinted very subtly that you were supposed to jeer and scream and all that stuff. I was transfixed. Oh, it was so good. Oh, shut up. And that's going to conclude this edition of the Seeds of Rebellion, Liana Stark. Uh, what did we miss? What did we get wrong? What did we get right? Uh, that's going to be for you to decide and add your voice to. We encourage feedback on all matters discussed as far, and we will continue this seed series next time with our look at Rhaegar Targaryen. And I do want to thank these wonderful people who put up with my silliness, with my writing, with uh, you know my terrible thoughts. I really appreciate you guys spending the evening with me, uh, especially you, Bubba. I'm going to start with you simply because... Uh, you came to us uh, basically last second, uh, and again, we wish Holly to, to feel better soon. But the the whole idea of you uh, coming off of you know running a marathon and coming straight to the computer and doing a podcast is just wonderful, and you did a wonderful job reading. You brought up great points. As usual, you hijacked the podcast at the, at the appropriate times, and I really appreciate that. How can people... Well, just tell us about Double P Media again, because, you know, redundancy is key to this podcast. Well, Matt, thank you guys for allowing me to join you. Kelly and Mike, great voices. I love listening to you guys when I'm not in on, so there I can concentrate on the on the brilliant points and not my silliness. Holly, we want her to get better because she's an important part of these voices as well. Everybody, to find out about all the ridiculous podcasts I do, just go to Double P HQ. That's the word double, the single letter P, the letters HQ for headquarters at double PHQ on Twitter and Instagram. We're talking about a lot of fun, interesting things. And maybe I've mentioned Prince Charles so much because I'm about to start podcasting about the crown. Thank you guys so much. And the the wait for these spinoff shows is exciting. I'm excited for them. I can't wait till they're here. Kelly, uh, you're my rock girl. You've done so much for this podcast in particular. And uh, your thoughts are always so much better than anybody else's here. No offense to my other guests, but it, it's always clear and concise and wonderful. Tell people how they can get that clear and concise and wonderful from you wherever you are on social media, please. Just to prove you wrong and to refuse to be concise at the end here, I do want to shout out to Holly and uh, did miss you today, girl. I wanted to catch up, but uh, I have to uh, berate Matt on your behalf because of his reading of uh, the Viserys Targaryen lines where he just butchered the Harry Lloyd voice. Girl, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so don't worry. Yeah! <laughs> I'll get him. Lashings will ensue. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, I made a note to, to tell you that. So hopefully you uh, will laugh at our ridiculous, uh, floundering without you. So get better and get back here. And anybody wants to tweet at my Twitter, um, it's Kelly Underfoot, K-E-L-L-Y Underfoot, like my girl. And I highly recommend anything Bubba, uh, is a part of, uh, he is as smart as he is funny, which is just frustrating. And, there have been many times I've been on a run listening to his podcast and I get out of breath just laughing while running and I look like an idiot. So highly recommend <laughs> he undersells himself. Go go check him out if you haven't yet, which is probably few and far between. But if you haven't, you're doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> and I'm going to say go check out all of Mike's podcasts because I've Heck been listening yeah. to them and they are excellent. They are excellent. Mike, how can people talk to you on Twitter and tell us once again about uh, a couple of your projects, please? Thanks, man. Uh, I'm on Twitter at brainwashedlib, which will give you some sense of the foundation of some of the things I do, maybe. Um, if you're into politics, check out Black Diplomats. If you're into movies, check out Fun City Cinema and uh, updates as, as things are landing. It's been really great to hear everybody. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, Matt, as always. Oh, dude, you, you're gold. I love having you here. 
And don't forget, you can find me at so let her be the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. And uh, we'll see you next time. Peace out. Tweet to the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod. Send emails to matsaudioblog at gmail.com or call 314-269-0421. Find all information and back episodes at matsaudioblog.com.